So today I want us to look at this and dive into it and look a little bit of what was happening in Joel chapter 1 and verse 4. It starts out and it says, let me tell you children about what's happening. What the devouring locust has left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locusts have left, the young crawling locusts have eaten. And what the young locusts left, the destroying locusts has devoured. For the nation has invaded our land and we're in despair. And it goes on and describes the condition of the nation of Israel in this passage of scripture. It's laying it out very clearly. And then it moves forward. And in verse 14, here's what it says. Announce a sacred fast. Call and proclaim it to the assembly. Now, what are we looking at here in this passage of scripture is very interesting because it's when we look at this, it's the answer was in the fast. The answer was in what God was doing and what God was setting for them and before them in this passage of scripture. It was so interesting and it begins to connect the dots at family of grace. It's for several years now. It's always been our desire that jumping out into the first part of the year that we always set forth in a time of fasting, time of fasting and praying. And so for that, we are coming again in January and we're looking at proclaiming the fast, calling the assembly. Because there's such importance to fasting. Fasting was an Old Testament mandate that carried over into the New Testament. They were still doing it. Matter of fact, there was questions about the, the religious people, the Pharisees and all those guys were fasting and some others were fasting and Jesus' disciples weren't fasting. And they came and they asked him and said, why is it that we're fasting but you're not? If you're supposed to be all that and so religious, why aren't you fasting? And basically the summarization of his answer was, I'm still here. When I'm no longer here, there will be time for fasting. But as long as I'm here, you remember last week, or the message on the bridegroom, as long as the bridegroom's here, there's no need to be fasting. And so there's several reasons for fasting in the Old Testament. Uh, despair, adversity, destruction came and they would fast. Needing direction was a time of fasting. Needing a time to be set aside was a time of fasting. And for us today, God has called us forth and wants us to move forward in fasting. Matter of fact, many of the things that we have enjoyed in October as a church, as many of the things I've enjoyed in October as a husband or a family, has been as a result of what was prepared for in January through fasting. Now let me tell you what fasting is not. Fasting is not you taking your long list of orders and going to God and demanding him to meet them. Fasting is not you directing God, but crying out to God. Here's what fasting is not. Fasting is not you trying to get God on your side, but you getting on God's side. Fasting is you preparing yourself to receive the blessing that God has. There's Passages in the scripture where people prayed and fasted and what they prayed for, it didn't happen. Matter of fact, David prayed and fasted for his son and uh, his son died. Afterwards, he got up and took a shower, clean shower and began to eat. And his servant said, why is it that when the boy was alive, 
You prayed and you fasted. You prayed and you fasted. You prayed and you fasted. But now that he's dead, you're no longer praying and fasting. David said it's simple. Because as long as he was living, who could tell whether the Lord would let him live? But now I'm no longer fasting because I'm no longer mourning. Because my boy's not lost, I know where he is. And I can go and be where he is. Now, in this passage of Scripture, there's been times in my life where God has, there's been, there's been times in my life that I was fasting about something and the answer never came. But answers that have came for things I never prayed for. You see, fasting is not getting God on our page, but us getting on God's page. Now, what fasting is not, is not popular. It's not trending on social media today. Because it's slow. It's grueling. It's aggravating. It's challenging. You say it's aggravating? Yes, it is. Amen. When you go out to lunch and somebody's eating a steak across the table from you, and you're sitting there looking at whatever your fasting diet is, I'm telling you, it's grueling. Fasting's not popular. Because we want something right now. We want it right now in the instantaneous society that we live in. We want to snap our fingers, and we want it to happen right away. Fasting's not popular. I'll tell you something that fasting is not also. Fasting is not grit. You say it's not grit. No, it's not grit. Fasting is not about you gritting your teeth and gutting your way through it. Fasting is not grit, but it's grace. I'm going to say that one again to this side of the church because y'all kind of missed it over there. Fasting is not grit, but it's grace. Grace that God would allow us to be able to draw that close to Him, a holy God. Fasting is because more than you desire to have a close walk with Jesus, Jesus desires to have a closer walk with you. Fasting is moving ourselves into the presence of a holy God that we might align ourselves with who He is and not with who we are. If you could get God to fit into your plan, then you would have a God who would be called a demigod. And I don't know about you today, but I'm not interested in a demigod. I'm not interested in a trinket God. I'm not interested in a God who will fit into my human way of thinking. I want a God whose ways are not my ways, whose thoughts are not my thoughts, whose pathways are not my pathways. I'm glad today that God doesn't think the way I think because I would have never found salvation. Fasting is not grit. Fasting is grace. Fasting is a way of saying, draw close. Fasting is intimacy. Whoa. Well, there's a word you never hear associated with fasting. Fasting is intimacy. Because it's a way of you drawing close to God. And removing the things of earth that stand in the way of you and God. It's your way of saying, God, I want to hear from you more than I want that chocolate meringue pie staring back at me. Fasting is intimacy. Fasting is not grit. Fasting is grace. 
Fasting is direction. Fasting is getting God's plan, the great architect. So let me show you a couple things that we've talked about what it's not. Let's look at exactly what it is. When there's the issue of fasting, there's always the situation of God's people. Because of the situation of God's people, there needs to be the time of fasting. In this passage of scripture, we see that the, there was the chewing locust, there was the swarming locust, there was the crawling locust, there was the consuming locust. That's a lot of locusts. When you think about it, how could we draw this parallel today? The chewing locust could be a parallel of guilt. The locust of guilt. You know, that's what guilt does for us. It gnaws away. Guilt gnaws away. It chews away at your conscience. It chews away at your sleep. It keeps you awake at night. Guilt eats away. It chews away. The same way the chewing locust would devour. It devoured upon the land of the children of Israel and began to chew away at the leaves of the crop so that there was nothing left. We have a chewing locust in our life called the locust of guilt that chews away at us. It begins to consume us. You were not created for guilt. You were created for grace. Because of guilt, we have grace. If there was no guilt, there would have never been a need for grace. Therefore, you and I understand something the angels do not understand. We understand grace. The angels in heaven do not. We understand the grace of God because of the guilt of man. When we look at this, the swarming locust, it could be a, a parallel of, of the persuasion to do wrong. I mean, when we connect these dots right here, the swarming locust is like peer pressure, the locust of peer pressure. I mean, you had the locusts that were just over there chewing away, kind of like guilt, chewing away at your life. And then all of a sudden, the, the, it seems like uh, the... the, the the swarming locusts would just sweep in and would swarm all around the people so that they were just overtaken by them. Kind of like peer pressure. Is there more people there to help you do right or to help you do wrong? Are your friends the type of friends, the people around you, are they the type of people that say, don't do that, that's not a good choice, or is it people that say you only live once, don't leave anything on the table? Many people are surrounded by people who are constantly pointing them in the direction of doing the wrong thing. The crawling locusts could be, how low will you go? How low will you go? You ever heard this saying? I can't believe they stooped that low. The baby locusts, the crawling locusts, the young locusts. It's an old preaching cliche, but it's good, so I'm going to use it again. I don't know who came up with it. It says sin will take you further than you want to go, cost you more than you're willing to pay, and keep you there longer than you want to stay. How low will you go? Many of us need to fast because we have the crawling locust devouring our life, pulling us down to the depth of lowliness, of going so far down the pathway of wrong that we don't even know what's right anymore. A situation... The consuming locust. It's kind of like the addict. The addict who gives up everything. 
gives up their family, gives up their home, gives up their job, gives up everything, and they don't have anything else to offer. I don't have to list them out. And addicts aren't all crack addicts. Amen. Addicts are not all crack addicts. They're not all alcoholics. I'm telling you today, whatever is so addicted in your, addictive in your life that it drives you and consumes you and makes you make the decisions you make, it could be work. It could be hobbies. It could be pornography. I don't know what it may be. You know. But what the Bible says is for the children of Israel, they had all of these locusts devour upon them at one time, and it was destroying everything around them so that their whole life was in despair. For us, I could spend time talking about the pestilence in our own country, the things that come against our our nation, and the, the, the things that strike our crops and all those things. But I'm telling you, the thing that we have that is striking us more than the things striking us like bad weather or the things of nature that God sent are the things that we are opening the door of and allowing to come into our own spiritual life. I'm telling you today, you are not created for a trophy of disgrace. But you were created for a trophy of grace. God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. Therefore, God is wanting to bring you to the place not where you exist, but where you thrive. God doesn't want you just to exist, young people. He wants you to thrive. You were not created for mediocrity. You were created for excellence. You say, how could you say such a thing? Well, you're made in the image of God, aren't you? I'm telling you a lot of things you can say about God, but ordinary is not one of them. Mediocre. Mediocre is not one of them. The situation of God's people drives us to seek Him. Not only is there the situation, but there's the invitation. I'm telling you, God's not demanding you fast. He's sending you an invitation. He's inviting you to fast. He's inviting you to seek Him. He's inviting you to have His ear, to hear His heart. The Bible says in chapter 2, verses 2, 15, He says, turn, in in this passage of Scripture, it's interesting. In in, in chapter 2, in verse 12, it says, even now the Lord's declaration, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, weeping, mourning, tear your heart, not your garment. That's one of the most powerful phrases in this book. Tear your heart, not your garment. Because you see, when they would fast in the Old Testament, they would tear their outer garments and put on sackcloth, which was a show of being pretty religious. And so they had all these people who would go through this religious process, and they would tear their outer garments. They would put on sackcloth, and they would walk around, and they would be like putting on brokenness putting on fasting putting on weeping putting on mourning and here's what god told joel to tell the children of israel in the place that you are in your life get over your religious junk and rend your heart and not your outer garments say lord tear my heart and search it seek it lord do a work in my heart and not in my religion i'm telling you today religion can be the swarming locusts. 
Religion can be the crawling locust. Religion can be the devouring locust. But Jesus is the bomb of Gilead, the one who heals all things. There's the invitation for fasting. Then there's the participation of God's people. Chapter 2 and verse 17. It says, let the priest, the Lord's ministers, weep between the porch and the altar. Let them say, God, have mercy upon us. And do not make our inheritance as a disgrace. You see, the invitation is to turn to God. It's to seek God. It's to call for a fast. I'm not making this up. God said to do it. God said to call for it, that we would seek God. I'm telling you, we live in a country that we have so many churches in our country, but they have so little power. Amen. At the end of the year, I've just spent a lot of time doing a lot of self-evaluating what God's doing in our church now, what he did in our church last year. And I was thinking about the times where there wasn't a Sunday that a life wasn't being changed. That somebody wasn't at the altar giving their heart to God, coming home, healing taking place or something taking place. I was like, God, what's the difference maker? And one of the things that he spoke to my heart was he said, we used to pray more. The church prayed more. Matter of fact, during every service, there was somebody who used to be praying, seeking uh, for God's power to move in that invitation, seeking him, seeking him. He's given us an invitation to seek him. It's not grit, it's grace. It's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to enjoy his presence. Fasting is not only an invitation but it's a separation. The Bible says right here in chapter 2 and verse 16, it says sanctify yourself. It means, sanct the word sanctify means to set yourself aside for the intended purpose that you were created for. I know you get sick of this illustration, but I actually have sanctified shoes on right now because they're on my feet and not my hands. My shoes are sanctified because they are fulfilling the purpose that they were created for. God created you for a purpose. Can I ask you this? Are you fulfilling it? God created you with a plan in mind. Are you fulfilling it? Or can you not? Or is the plan hijacked? Is it derailed by menial things of no significance? Oh, they seem so big. They seem so big right now. But there's a separation. And then in verse 17, not only do we see the separation of God's people, but if you look with me, if you would, in verse 17, there was the participation. God's, it started with the priest. It said, let the priest who minister lead the fast. Lead the fast. The participation. I tell you what we need in America right now. What we need in Alexandria is we need churches to participate in seeking God and saying, Lord, I'm tearing my heart and not my garments. I'm tearing my heart, God, and not my garments. Isn't it amazing how we're so programmed? We think, man, I can't worship unless we got a full band. <laughs> you know, got to have the drum, got to have all this. I tell you, one of the most powerful things I've ever seen in the issue of worship was my first trip to Haiti. They left us there at the orphanage, and we had to walk to the church the next morning to begin the conference. It was very early. And we were walking down a, a, a literally a rocky road, a boulder, not rocks, not gravel, like boulders. 
And um, we're traveling down on top of a ridge to the church, and it's pitch black. There's no lights. There's no electricity in the middle of the night in Haiti. And as we begin to approach traveling down that road in the pitch of the dark of night, I began to hear singing, worshiping in the middle of the night. As we approached the church, there was no lights on. There was no candles lit. There was no false, there was no false light. But there was true light. As we walked into that church in the middle of the night, Kneeling down on concrete was old saints of God who had met early to participate in worship with nothing but a heart that had been rended before God. When we walked in, they immediately got up. It was like we had busted them doing something. It's kind of like, man, we, had, we sneaked in the veil of what they were doing and quenched the spirit, I guess. But I'm telling you, standing outside that Church, as long as I live, my memory holds up. I remember what true worship was. I mean, it really wasn't about lights. It really wasn't about who was leading. It was about God's children participating and setting themselves aside early in the morning to hear from heaven. You know what's going to change our life this year? Setting ourselves aside. Praying is the thing you like to do the least. Because praying in itself is symbolic of your weakness. It's you saying, God, I can't do this in my humanity. I need you to show up in your deity. And conquer in your deity what's conquering humanity. And it praying admits defeat. And we hate to admit we can't do something. We hate to admit that we need help. Can I get a witness? The participation. When there's participation, they will, there will be great expectation. The expectation of the fast. I'm telling you. Verse, chapter 2, verse 19 says the Lord will answer. It says the Lord will satisfy. Verse 20 says the Lord will remove. Verse 23 says the Lord will pour out. And verse 25 says, the Lord will restore. Can I read verse 25? It has to do with locusts. And since I spent so much time on it, let me read it. And I will repay the years that the locusts have eaten. That the swarming locusts ate, the young locusts ate, the devout, destroying like locusts, the devouring locusts. My army that I sent against you, you will have plenty to eat and be satisfied. And you will praise the name of God. We all love to quote 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek my face, then will I hear from heaven. If they turn from their sin, then will I hear from heaven and begin to heal their land. I mean, there are signs in people's yard, and I'm not making light of that. But the problem is nobody ever reads verse 13. Verse 13 says, if I shut up the heaven, if I don't send the rain, if I send the pestilence, 
when my people then turn and seek my face. That's when I'll begin to hear from heaven. Repent. And God will begin to do something. The participation factor brings about the expectation. Let me close with this. One of the first times a prayer and fasting was led by George Washington in our country. He led the time of praying and fasting. During the time of the revolution, he led that. And some time passed, and it wasn't until August the 12th of 1861 that it was declared that a nation would repent and go into a time of prayer and fasting. That was the time of Abraham Lincoln. He was elected in the fall of the year. And then immediately, one month in the office, there was a succession and, and things began to happen. And the Civil War broke out in our country. He didn't know what else to do but to call for a time of prayer and fasting. Abraham Lincoln, I didn't really realize this till I was studying for this sermon, but you know he wasn't always a believer. Matter of fact, as a young person, he mocked God. He ridiculed God. Didn't really want to have anything to do with it. But it wasn't until the death of one of his sons that he began to be so desperate that he started having seances to try to find hope. And when he realized the seance wouldn't fulfill and it wouldn't work, he began to turn to the Word of God. And the word of God drove him to a time of prayer and fasting. To a point that he led the nation in prayer and fasting. Again, on March 30th of 1863 at the defeat at the Battle of Bull Run, he didn't know what else to do. It was the bloodiest day. There's never been a day since then that more Americans have died in battle than right before that. And the president rose up. He had been elected, rose up, and said, we're going to go into a time of prayer and fasting. The nation began to pray and, fa- pray and fast and seek the face of God. 1863, the nation repented. It was Abraham Lincoln who said, overheard a young man saying, I hope God is on our side, and him rebuking him and saying, son, It's not about you getting on God on your side, but it's about making sure you're on his side. Abraham Lincoln didn't understand it. Because he knew what he was fighting for was the right thing to do. To liberate people from slavery, he knew it was the right thing to do. But he he couldn't understand, why am I doing the right thing and losing? And so he began to lead the nation in prayer and fasting. We know how that ended up. Just a little bit later, he was victorious. Defeated the last stronghold in Vicksburg. And led the nation to victory in defeating slavery. And setting people free. But you know what's interesting about that? He died shortly afterwards, assassinated. In 1863... He led the nation in prayer and fasting. In 1867, Russia sold the U.S. Alaska. 
for $7.2 million, which is only two cents an acre. After a country that had been so bitterly divided, they had the money to purchase Alaska. The federal government had a surplus for the next 28 years following the Civil War. Coincidence? No. I believe for the next 28 years, our nation benefited from a national fast. From seeking God from the White House to the outhouse. I'm telling you today that God is looking for a remnant. God's looking for a man and a woman who will rise up and say, Lord, I'll fast. After the Civil War, after a time of national prayer and fasting, America finally became a national power to be reckoned with. After the Civil War, after the time of prayer and fasting, America began to lead the way in inventors. And our economy exploded with innovation following a time of national prayer and fasting. Now, you say, Pastor, why do we want to pray and fast? Four reasons. Number one, our nation needs it more than ever. More than ever. I don't care what party you're part of. We need God. Our nation needs it. And God's always looked for a remnant. Number two. You need it. You need to quit groping at the darkness and get a clear word from God. And follow it. God is not the Easter bunny. Who says you're getting a little warmer. You're getting a little warmer. Oh, you're getting colder. You're getting warmer. Oh, you're getting, you're hot, hot. You're real hot. It's close. Oh, you're hot. It's close to discovering the will of God. No, 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 sir. No, ma'am. That's not how God works. If you will seek Him, you will find Him. It's not God's responsibility. It's not your responsibility to discover it. It's God's responsibility to reveal it. The problem is we never get close enough and slow enough to hear it. The third reason you need to fast is your family needs it. Not only does your nation need it, you need it to lead your family. Wives, if your husband don't want to have anything to do with church, pray and fast. You become a spiritual leader. Young people here today, if your mom and dad don't want anything to do with church, you pray and fast. You seek God's face and become the leader. Your family needs you. And then fourthly, your family needs it for health. Your family needs it for direction, where to work, where to live, what to do, what to buy, what not to buy. Fourthly, it's hard for me as a pastor to make this for Pastor Ralph. I'm just going to tell you that. Your church needs you. Your church needs you to pray and fast. To seek the direction of God for the next 12 months. If we could sow in one month, we can reap in 11. Your church needs you. 
And then fifthly, the kingdom of heaven is dependent on you. God said, I want you to fast. I'm giving you an invitation to pray and fast and see my face.